Welcome to the Nations Church podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Just stay standing as we just um, yeah, give glory and honour to God. He deserves yeah, way more honour than any man on stage. So, uh, Father, we, we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we position ourselves right now to be ministered to by your Spirit. The Bible tells us that your Spirit uh, inspired its events. It spoke to the authors to write it. And it is alive right now, interpreting and revealing your text to us. So Holy Spirit, would you um, cover any blind spots that I might have this morning? May you cover any blind spots we might have. May you minister so powerfully through this text to people that people would leave here with even different revelations to the one given, as long as you're the one speaking to them. We love your presence. We honor you. It is such a privilege to worship you at a time where so many in our globe don't have this immense honor and privilege to do it freely. We do not take it for granted. We love you. We honor your presence. We glorify your name. Pray that every heart that's come and every person that's walked into the building, regardless of where they're at, whether they feel like they're in a valley or they're on a mountaintop, I thank you that you love each and every one and you want to give fresh mercies to each and every one. And so would you speak to your children today as only you can. We put our attention and our focus on you and on you alone. In Jesus' wonderful, sovereign, holy and worthy name. God's people said, amen and amen. Can we just give Jesus a shout of praise? Yeah, awesome. Grab your seats as well. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's a tremendous privilege and honor to share the word of God with you today. Um, My wife says that I speak very fastly uh, and extremely fast, sorry. And so uh, I'm going to continue to do so because she's not here today. Um, But if you want to understand me a little bit better, watch this back on Point 5 on YouTube and uh, I'm sure it will bless your life. But we've got a lot of text to get through today uh, and some teaching we want to get through today as well. I hope to leave you with some points that you can apply to yourself and to your family as you go about this week. But it is a tremendous honor and privilege to share the Word of God here at our Myri 11 a.m. service. Pastor Ken and Chrissy do want to honor them and thank them for the privilege as well. But our 11 a.m. service, you guys have had a sleep in, you're feeling fresh, you're looking good. Who's feeling good? Who's honestly not feeling that great? Come on, let's be honest in the house of God. Great. Hey, thank you for coming. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being in the room today. But we're going to get straight in to the Word of God. I'm going to build on a lot of stuff that you would have heard uh, last week from Pastor Chrissy's brilliant message, uh, speaking about being a people of prayer. So a lot of what I say today is going to be building off that foundation. So if some of this doesn't make sense, go back and watch that message. It'll bless you so much. Who's ready for the Word of God? Three of you, sweet. Who's ready for the Word of God? Come on. The Word of God is what we gather around. It's what we lean into without it. This is just a fancy TED Talks. But we want to lean into the Word of God right now. Luke 5, 1 to 11. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the Word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to pull out a little deep from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, this is Jesus, of course, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered to him, Master, we have toiled all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners to the other boat to come over and help them. 
And when they came, they filled both boats, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, from, uh, from who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Jesus, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, is now walking on the earth. And you can understand uh, a bit of context of the time and the kind of amazement of the crowd. You see, they were under Roman rule and reign in this kind of uh, atmosphere or environment, uh, so to speak, where they were in a land, but they weren't really in the land. They were in the land, but kind of prisoners of the land. And so you can understand the cry of their heart, but God, the land that you have given our forefathers, which we are now in, when will we be rescued to have this land by ourselves? Who will rescue us? Who will save us? We've heard stories from previous past and for our forefathers. We've heard promises from Abraham, and we understand that we shouldn't be living this way. So you can understand the desire in their heart for a savior, the desire in their heart to be rescued by someone. So with, this, with that context, we understand that when someone like Jesus enters the scene through the text here in Luke chapter 5, he's already healed uh, people. He's already set people free from demons. He's already, uh, they've already witnessed signs and wonders. He's already opened uh, the scrolls in the temple to de- prophetically declare the book of Isaiah, the spirit of a sovereign Lord is upon me, to anoint those, to proclaim the gospel of the good news. So you can understand the intrigue of people crowding around him. Does that make sense to you guys so far? So people are crowding around. That, could, could this be Jesus? Could this be the son of the living God? Could this be the one that's come to save us? We're seeing signs and wonders and miracles, and perhaps this is him. So by this time we get to the text, the crowd have pushed so closely within him, there is nowhere for Jesus to speak. So he gets in a boat and he, and he kind of, he punks Simon. He grabs his boat, says, hey, if you could just go off the shore a little bit so I can now communicate, so I can preach, so I can teach to the crowds. So it's in that context that we understand this beautiful bit of scripture. And you need to know that it's more than just a bit of history. It is more than a story. This, this text is filled with parabolic actions. What does that mean? It means that the story in itself we can look at and we can see imagery, pictures, lessons to learn for you and to I to apply it to our lives. How do we know that? Well, we know that because of how Jesus ends the text to Simon. He ends it by saying, hey, Simon... You will now be a fisher of men. Now, Jesus isn't going crazy, right? It's not like, hey, if you're a, a single girl in the room or online, you know, you can go down to Cot Beach, throw your, you know, throw your line in, bring it up. Hey, mom, look what I've caught. A really brilliant Christian man of God, 22 years old, loves the Word of God, passionate about a missions trip, Pastor Ken Fletcher, you know, a brown brother like Gareth, you know, he looks good, he smells good, he's got beautiful green eyes. I mean, look at that good-looking rooster. And, uh, you know, it just looks like him. It wasn't, Jesus wasn't talking about that. We know that. He was speaking about a call that his disciples would one day preach the gospel that they would bring people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So with that being said, we can understand that the story isn't just a literal story. It's a story given to us to teach us some lessons as well. Second thing you need to know about the text is that the greatest lesson of this text is actually not the lesson to follow of the miraculous catch of the fish. 
That is incredible. That is crazy. That is mind-blowing. But the principle of this story, the primary principle is the relational factor. It's a discipleship. The principle of first mention is at play here because this is the first time in this gospel, according to Luke, that Jesus is speaking and now getting disciples to him. This is the first time it hasn't happened before. People who were doing their daily tasks, who were doing ordinary everyday tasks, and all of a sudden they leave what they have, pick up, leave behind what they have, and pick up the call to follow Jesus. So this, this story can tell us about our relationship with Jesus. It can also teach us about our discipleship call to Jesus. And what's beautiful is that it ends with them leaving everything behind and wanting to follow Jesus in a deeper way. We all, I think, have a desire in our hearts to want to follow Jesus in a deeper way. And so today, the title of this message that I want to share with you in the short time I have with you is an invitation to intimacy. An invitation to intimacy. You guys still with me this morning? We're good? Nations Church, we're about disciples being made. And so this text gives us a, a beautiful picture of a start of a discipleship journey of Simon that continues on throughout the Gospels. And it's this beautiful, this beautiful drawing all throughout the text of Jesus constantly drawing Simon deeper. Come deeper. And I think that's a call for all of us in our lives. Jesus wanting to call us deeper, deeper into his word, deeper into his character, deeper into prayer, deeper into his ways. I think there's still a call for each and every one of us, wherever you are on your Christian journey, a call for us to go deeper. What is intimacy? Intimacy is, is really the, the understanding in any relationship that you have of being seen, of being known, of being hurt. When we speak about intimacy, when we speak about an intimate friend, it's someone that we feel very close to. They know us at a deep level. If something happens and it damages the intimacy, they often feel distant from us. If intimacy is, is non-existent in our lives, you might say that someone might not know you intimately. They might know you or you might know them superficially. I believe Jesus today is still preparing us and asking us the question, Nation's Church, are you prepared to be intimate with me again? Are you prepared to come deeper with me again in this season? And you might say, Gaz, I'm, I'm already deeper. I feel like I'm drowning how deep I am. Well, the thing about that is that there is always deeper to go in God. There is always, none of us on this side of eternity ever arrive. Come on, none of us. There is always more to grow in, in God. There is always more to know in Christ. There is always, I pray, my prayer for our church, and I tell our Belmont campuses all the time, I pray that this time next year, you're deeper than you are right now. I pray this time next week, you're deeper in your intimacy with God than you are right now. Why? Because all of us are called on the sanctification journey to grow in Christ. Come on. There's this beautiful Psalm, Psalm 42, verse 1 to 7. You can... Read it in your own time. We're just going to take a couple of verses from it. And it's a beautiful psalm, absolutely stunning in its language. It's a psalm of despair. It's a psalm of lament. But it's also a psalm of great intimacy and depth. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? For my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? It goes on in verse 7, says, And deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All the waves and billows have gone over me. In that psalm, it's a psalm of 
really pain and lament and despair. That's why I asked at the start if you're feeling good if you're in the house of God, but also maybe you're not feeling so great. This psalm might speak to you very clearly today. And it's this psalm of life stuff going on. But it's a psalm that even in the middle of the stuff, he says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. Nothing else will do in my life. You can hear that the depth of the cry of the psalmist right there, that I need you, God. I need your presence. I need you with me. I need to be known by you. I need to see you in every area. You can hear the desperation in the psalmist's voice. It's a desperation of depth, a desperation to come deeper. Remember in Luke chapter 5, we read it before, and there's a beautiful correlation between these two passages. Remember in Luke chapter 5, Jesus calls them and he says, hey, would you just, if you can come, Simon, if you can come deeper. If you can come deeper. And then he doesn't just say come deeper for the sake of it. He says come deeper and he attaches a promise to it. Come deeper and if you come deeper, you will get fish. It's a beautiful lesson in that and a beautiful application for us. Jesus was calling disciples to come deeper in him and the deepness that they came. He said, when you come deeper, I will meet you and I will meet your needs when you come deeper. It's a beautiful reminder to us, but it's not just a reminder for superficial things. We understand that God is a good father. He cares for you. He wants the best for you. How do we know that? We know that because in the passage, Simon was a fisherman and he was getting provided fish that would have fed his family, that would have kept his family going, that would have kept his business going. God clearly cares for his people, but that's not the need that was met just on that day. The need was a much deeper need. It was a deeper need to, to have a a, a, a relationship with Jesus that was kind of just from the periphery, just sat in a boat, to leaving everything in his life and making Jesus his whole world. It was a, a deeper understanding. He, the need that was met was a need to be known, a need to be seen, a need to be loved, a need to be forgiven. I believe that God is calling us to go deeper in him. And it's not just to meet superficial needs, it's to meet very real spiritual needs that we all have in life. Needs to be forgiven, needs to be made whole, needs to find grace and love, and we can only find that in the arms of Jesus. This is all right to you guys. Psalm 42, I love that. Deep calls to deep. Deep calls to deep describes a place where our deep needs meet God's all-sufficient presence. It's where your deepest needs meet God's all-sufficient presence. And I love what Psalm 42 and the beautiful play against Luke chapter 5. It's really this cry to us to go deeper in God. Intimacy with Jesus really is all that matters in your life. Your relationship with Jesus really is all that matters in your life. And I say that because there are other things that matter, but they all flow off the relationship with Jesus Christ. If we didn't believe that as a church, we wouldn't give an altar call and a salvation appeal every Sunday for people to come into a relationship with Jesus. Why do we do that? Because outside of Jesus Christ, I've been there. Life is futile. And that's like not being all like, you know, dead and gloomy and stuff. That is the reality of the gospel. That outside of Jesus Christ, you and I were dead in our sin. Come on. 
But the beauty is that it's our relationship with Jesus that we find our identity, we found our purpose, we found our reason to being alive. And this intimacy we have with Jesus, everything else flows off of that. Abraham was on a roll in the Old Testament, Genesis 15. He was on a roll. He had gotten an incredible word from God. Hey, Abraham, I'm just calling you. I'm letting you know you're going to be blessed. Your descendants are going to be blessed. He gets some land. Further on, he goes out. His brother gets taken. He goes and rescues him. He's feeling pretty good about himself. And in Genesis 15, verse 1, God taps Abraham on the shoulder. He says, Abraham, do not be afraid, for I am your shield. But know this, I am your exceedingly great reward. What was he telling Abraham? He's saying, hey, you've had some pretty good rewards along the way. But never forget that I am the exceedingly great reward. I am the one who gives the rewards. We can often be intimate with God because we want the stuff, but I'm telling you that he is the one who gives the stuff. And our intimacy is called to focus and honor the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The problem is that somewhere along the way in our discipleship journey, intimacy with Jesus became the means to a goal and not the goal itself. Somewhere along the way, intimacy with Jesus became, I'll spend time with you, Jesus, so I can get something. But it didn't become the goal itself. We need to come back to making it the primary purpose of our lives once again. To having Jesus be the one thing in our lives because he is all that matters. Is that all right? Three things that stand out to me from this text if you're a note taker. Number one is this, let go. Let go. Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch into the deep. Let down. Sometimes I should say, let go of your nets for a catch. It wasn't just enough for Simon to launch into the deep. It also required him to drop, to let go of the nets. When God calls you to a deep space, he also often asks you to let go of something. We know James chapter 4 verse 4 that it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We know that he wants you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be intimately known by you. But often we're holding things up and our hands are so full of stuff that even if we were to take something for Jesus, we wouldn't know where to put it. And sometimes God says, hey, I want you to come deep and I want you to drop the stuff. We're in a beautiful season right now of 21 days prayer and fasting and I invite you all to be on that journey with us as a church and If you're in Connect this week, big shout out to Connect groups. If you're not in one, join one wherever you are. And so um, this next part won't make sense to you if you're not in Connect group. But PK and Chrissy spoke about prayer and fasting, fasting going without. And they so beautifully told us that you, you have to partner the two together. Going without, you actually need to have a spiritual discipline. Because the danger in just dropping things of the flesh is that can become for show. It can become for performance and it can't become for his presence. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you fast, you'll actually, you know, for myself, it's been one week, I'm kind of, you know, uh, not doing breakfast and lunch and having a dinner meal, right? And, and can I tell you, honestly, it was a good feeling this morning to wear these pants that I haven't fit in for a few months. <laughs> Come on, I can like, be honest. I was like, man, this fasting season's pretty good. You know, God, if you don't do anything else for me, this is a good deal. Someone at our Connect on Wednesday night said, you know what, I don't have an issue with fasting, guys. I have an issue with what I replace that fasting with. I thought, yeah, that's so true, isn't it? Because if you just give up something but don't replace it with a spiritual discipline in your life, it's just for performance. It's just for show. 
God's calling us to be intimate with him. And sometimes that requires letting go of something in order so that we can then lean into the spiritual disciplines that he has for our life. It's been one week prayer and fasting for myself and Pastor Chrissy last week spoke about, you know, um, Garden of Gethsemane, you know, spirit is willing, flesh is weak, who remembers that? And uh, we got a seven-month-old baby, and she hasn't really been sleeping that well through the night uh, this week. And so, you know, it's being hard to let go of my early morning. Mornings are cold right now, right? Like, it's hard to let go of it. I don't want to let go of it, but I know that when God is calling me deeper, there is a cost. Sometimes it might look like 15 snooze buttons, but that's okay. There's a cost. God's calling you and I deeper. Sometimes it's about letting go and then also, God, you're calling me deeper, but it's not just acknowledging that he's calling me deeper. All right, what am I going to do now that he's calling me deeper? For some of you, it's like, oh man, God, I know you're calling me deeper. God's like, oh, well, why don't you put yourself in a saturated environment like conference? Oh, I don't know. God's like, well, if you want to come deeper, drop something to be there. For some of you, you're like, oh, 6 a.m. prayer meeting. I don't know. It's a bit early. It is early and you should hate it because the flesh will hate it. But it's dropping something to pick up a spiritual discipline. I think in Christianity, we often, God, I want to go deeper with you. God, I want to go. And I don't think God's like, I, I, I heard you the first time. What are you going to do now to go deeper with me? What are you going to drop in your life to now come deeper with me? Is this all right with you guys? So the question is this, in this beautiful time of prayer and fasting that we're doing as a church, what are you letting go of to create greater intimacy with him? Number two, trust. Simon says this in Luke 5, I, I, I don't get it, I don't understand it. Verse 5, Master, we have toiled all night, but nevertheless, at your word, I mean, I'm a fisherman, passed down generationally, I know these waters, I know where I am, I, you see my business, I've got two boats, business is booming, like, uh, you're clearly not really a fisherman, then you're a carpenter, right? But, but nevertheless, at your word, I will. It was a complete statement of trust. Trust is at the heart of intimacy. Trust is at the heart of intimacy. The more, the more you trust someone, the closer naturally you feel that like that relationship is. That's why the degree to which trust is compromised is often the degree to which intimacy evaporates in our lives. And I want to encourage someone in the room, anyone, or you're watching it, wherever, maybe you feel like your trust in God maybe has waned or been broken because of a human relationship of trust. I want to say I'm so sorry for that, but I do want to say from the Bible and scripturally that God is not man. God is a perfect and loving Father. Do not withhold your trust from Him because it's been broken in man. The Word of God says God is not man that He should be mocked. God is a perfect and loving Father and He wants you to trust in Him again. How do we know that? Proverbs 3 verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, follow His Ways. It's a beautiful parallel, Proverbs 3, to the Gospel of Luke, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 5. Trusting Jesus' words is not but just an accumulation of knowledge. Did you hear what I said? Trusting in Jesus' words is not just for an accumulation of knowledge. It's for the sake of drawing closer to Jesus. Intimacy is more than knowledge. It's a desire to be drawn closer to Jesus because of his word. We live in a time where there has never been so much theological resource and knowledge out there at our disposal than ever before. 
But we live in a time where there has never been such a lack of intimacy with God than ever before. And we get that. How do I know that? Because I catch it with people all the time. And they can, they can quote stuff to me. They can give me the resource. They can give me the knowledge. They're keen. They're up for a debate. But when I say, oh, awesome. So tell me, when was the last time you kind of spent time with Jesus? It goes quiet. The Word of God ought to inform you and draw you closer to Jesus. The Word of God ought to inform you and bring you, oh man, this is so incredible. Jesus, thank you for your Word. How can I apply this to my life? How can this be so real? It ought to draw you into deeper intimacy with God. How do I know this? John 5, Jesus' Word. He speaks to the religious rulers. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think in them that you can have life. Little do you know that if you came to me, I am the source of life. He says, the Word of God ought to lead you back to me. So the question I'll leave you with today is where is your levels of trust at with God? How much do you trust Him? And the last point of this text, intimacy is our inheritance. I love this point probably the most. Simon yells out in verse 8, and you might think he's being super dramatic. Oh God, I see the miracle of the fish. Don't come near me, you know, like don't don't come near me. I'm unworthy. I'm a sinner. I've, I've messed up. I've done the wrong thing. Like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if you're married in this place to husbands, you know, kind of block your ears for a sec. But like, you know, if you're married to a wife, she's like, don't come in. I'm not ready yet. Babe, it's time to go. I don't care. I'm not ready yet. Right? Like, he's, Simon's like, listen, I'm not, don't, stay away from me. I look hideous. And you might be like, that's a bit of an overreaction for the guy. No, it's not. They've witnessed miracles. They've heard the stories of what Jesus had done. There's a bit of doubt. And then they witnessed the miracle in front of him. And perhaps it clicks for him that this could actually be the Son of God. And he's Jewish, so he realizes the stories that he had heard from his fathers and his forefathers that God was holy. And in the Torah, they knew that God was holy and what was unholy could not stand in his presence. What he was doing was not dramatic. In fact, what he was doing wasn't dramatic enough. You and I, we ought to be there, but listen to this beautiful passage in Romans 5, 17 to 19. We're going to take it from verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall one be made many righteous. In other words, this is beautiful, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I now are made righteous. You and I now come freely into his presence. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Oh man, Gaz, you had a bad day and you said this. Oh Gaz, you had a bad day and you did that. No, listen, we still need repentance. But I'm saying don't give the enemy a foothold in that time. Oh Gaz, you thought that way so you can't come into the presence of God. No, that's not right. That's not right. I want to encourage you that even on your worst day, you can still enter freely into the presence of God. Even on your worst day, even when you feel like, man, God, I've stuffed up. I've messed up. I want to encourage you. You can still come freely into the presence of a living God. Why? Because Jesus made you righteous. He made you righteous before. And it should have been you. It should have been me. We should right now have the, have the conversation with Simon. God, don't come near me. I'm unclean. I messed up yesterday. God says, I know you messed up yesterday, but my son covered that cost. It's a beautiful veranda, isn't it? Even on your worst day, you can still come to him. I've seen too many believers over the years accept the invitation of condemnation 
instead of accept the invitation of intimacy. They take the invitation of condemnation from the enemy and they don't accept the invitation of intimacy with God. How do I know that? Because I talk to people all the time and on your worst day, it's funny, no one runs to God. Why is that? Because there's a part of us that's scared. Oh, I'll, I'll come to God when like, you know, I made it right and I just bring him your mess. There was this old school saying that once said, you know, like when you come into worship, you know, leave your problems at the door and come. No, don't do that. Bring all your mess to Jesus. Worship with all your mess. God doesn't want the fake you. He wants the real you. Bring it all to him. So the question is this, because of Jesus, do you actually believe you have an inheritance of intimacy? And the fruit of that is, do you go to Jesus? Do you come into his presence freely, even on your worst days? Is this all right? It's a really smart lady. I want to give you some application because we're in a period of 21 days prayer and fasting. And so my prayer is that everyone in the room says, yeah, guys, you know, I want to accept this invitation to intimacy. I want to go deeper in God. And so if that's you in the room, I want to give you some application that I pray you can apply this week as you go. Number one is uh, intentional place. And these points are taken by this super smart woman who uh, called Gloria Jean Westerfield. She wrote a dissertation in 2014 and she studied uh, the, the effects and the quantifiable effects of people who have had an intimate, deep relationship, or they'd say they have had that, over many, many years. And so she kind of put them all in a room, did studies, said, what was the most common themes that kept coming out? And these, there's a few of them, but these were the two most common themes. Number one was this, an intentional place. I want to say to you this, intimacy requires intentionality. Intimacy requires intentionality. Luke 5, it's interesting that Jesus gives locational advice. Go out a little bit from the land so I can preach. Go into the deep waters so you can cast your net. Acts chapter 2, we're told that the Holy Spirit filled the place and then it filled the people. Moments before Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, the Bible tells us that now Jesus was in a certain place praying. The gospel according to Matthew, the synoptic gospel according to Matthew, he, Jesus frequently um, talks about or references the secret place. If you want to develop and cultivate a greater intimacy with God in this season, have an intentional place. Now, like, don't be like, I was talking about, don't be super religious about it, right? Like, don't like, oh man, guys, you know, I was going to go to my, my special chair, but my cat was on it. And so, you know, I'm kind of like, I can't do it. So don't, don't be that person, right? Maybe it's a room, couch, chair, park bench. Someone at Connect this week told us that their, their place is going to be their, their 40-minute drive at 4.30 a.m. to work. Here's the thing. If you're dating someone or you're married, you have intentionality with a location. And the location doesn't matter, does it? It could be a movie night at home. It could be traveling interstate or overseas. The, the location isn't the, the issue it's not about the physical location. It's about the intimacy that's created by creating room for that relationship, isn't it? Just like with God. I'm not saying be super religious about an intentional place, but have somewhere where you are creating, where you are intentionally creating room for that relationship. Because here's the thing. Sometimes, Gardner gets them any moment. Spirit is willing. Flesh is weak. And simply... By showing up to that place, you are making a declaration of intent. Simply by showing up to that place. Sometimes, man, I show up to the place. I've got a couch in the winter. And when it's summer, I have a bench outside. 
And when I show up to that place, can I be honest and real? I show up sleepy, wiping the sleep out of my eyes with a cup of coffee. Yesterday, I poured juice thinking it was coffee. I sat there, I was, and I was drinking it too, like I thought it was coffee. That's how crazy it was. And, uh, and I'm like, man, where are my thoughts at? I think God loves that. Because I'm, I'm being intentional about God. I'm just going to give you some room right now. Might not be here altogether mentally. I might not be awake just yet, but I'm, my, my spirit is willing. I want to encourage you, have an intentional space. Number two is the band joins me. Be still with your father. I was telling a 9 a.m. service, I am like a, a prayer junkie. I can't get enough of prayer. I have prayer lists on my phone, prayer lists on my laptop, prayer lists in my journal. Like, you know, I'm always reading prayer books. Love prayer, love prayer, love prayer. Love praying for people, love receiving prayer. When I go out to minister to places, people are like, how can we bless you? Thinking about everything. I'm like, just pray for me. Right? Like, I'm praying for people at an altar one time at a church. And when I was done, I said, hey, can you pray for me? He's like, this is weird. I was like, no, it's not. I want prayer. The thing about that is I have all these prayer lists. But when I come to Jesus, sometimes I can have the headspace that I'm just coming to Jesus to talk at Jesus instead of listen to Jesus. And I want to encourage you in your intentional space, make room simply to listen to Jesus. Notice in Luke chapter 5, verse 3, when Jesus gets into the boat to preach to the land, notice that it tells us that Simon didn't say anything. He would have just been sitting there. Jesus would have been preaching and he would have had no choice but to just sit there and listen. Have an intentional space. But have times where you are actually still with your Father, where you park the prayer lists. We need them. I need them. We, I love intercessory prayer. I bring that to God as well. But before I do any of that, my Father who is in heaven, it's a statement of presentness. God, Dad, here I am. I just want to worship you, honor you, but I also want to just hear from you. The European Environmental Agency tells us that noise pollution is the second largest environmental threat to health, causing approximately 12,000 premature deaths a year. It's little wonder that so many believers say that they can't hear from God or they don't know how to hear from God. Could it be that we drown His voice out so much with all the noise pollution around us that we carry? And I think it's not just the physical deaths that's at play. I think it's also many spiritual deaths that are done prematurely. And we don't give Psalm 46 verse 10 room to grow in our lives. Be still and know that I am God. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com.